Hello and welcome to the Marketing That Matters podcast, casual conversations for purpose-driven women. Each week we'll talk about what's grabbed our attention, productivity hacks making our life easier, and chat about a purpose-led brand. This week we're talking about partnerships and how collaborating with other businesses can help deliver on your brand purpose. We talk about the four C's in marketing, not the four P's, community, content, curation, and collaboration. And how this contributes to brand value. The brand we're talking about this week is Tradey. And if you don't know their brand ambassador, keep listening and you'll find out. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is episode 24. How has your week been, Alicia? Uh, it's been good. Um, I just last last night I had a bit of a debacle. <laughs> um, it just reminded me how much I rely on my phone. I was leaving a parent teacher interview to go to the hairdressers, and had I was chatting on the phone, had my maps on, and then suddenly it just went dead. And I had no idea this was a new hairdresser, so I had no idea where the hairdresser was. I had no phone suddenly and I was like 10 minutes before my appointment so (laughs) I had to call into an IGA buy a phone charger plug it into my laptop which I had wait for it to charge up find where I had to go and get back on track but it was just the biggest you know I had 10 minutes and just managed to yeah did you make it in time I made it in time kind of but yeah had to quickly buy a phone charge on the way isn't that crazy how much like before you would have like what looked it up before you left home had a roadmap in the car exactly (laughs) known at least where I was going I had no clue where I was going yeah oh my gosh so I know so yeah that was that was my afternoon how how about you (laughs) well that's funny that you say that because this morning I'm not someone, I, I don't think he was too obsessed with my phone. I don't think I am. Someone might tell me differently. But this morning I was walking the dogs and um, I was listening to a podcast for to record our podcast today. So I was doing a bit of research and um, I was texting you about it to make sure, oh, hey, make sure you listen to this bit or whatever, whatever I told you. And um, I literally walked because I wasn't looking. I walked into like a tree full of water. Oh my God. Because <laughs> it's been raining. So I'm like... <laughs> Literally walked into a tree branch and it's like sprayed me with water. Like it was like 5.30 in the morning and no one saw me. But like I'm not normally someone who like does that by looking because I'm looking at my phone. And it was just funny that when it happened to. Oh my God. Anyway, so we're way too reliant on technology apparently this week. So much, so much. All right, let's get into it. Jade, what has got your attention this week? So CMO Magazine had a chat to... RB marketing director Henry Turgus. And he manages brands from Dettol to Daviscon, Neurofin to Durex. So a lot of different brands. And he was talking about how brand partnerships have been very significant for lots of brands in their portfolio. He said, the way we're looking at and approaching partnerships has very simple starting point. We're really clear on our brand purpose and where we can enter partnerships to help us deliver better on that. It's a great case of doing well by doing good. So I thought this was really interesting about how they're using partnerships to deliver on their brand purpose, basically. Mm. So what have they done? So their Dettol brand actually partnered with um, Cricket Australia, which is a really interesting partnership and an unlikely one, I mm. think. 
Um, and it came from the coverage um, recently over hygiene practices during a cricket game. So if you're not a cricket fan, when they're bowling, they would sometimes use their saliva or sweat to like polish the ball. Now I'm not a I'm not a huge cricket person, so I think that maybe makes it more like stickier. I don't know, easier for them in some way. So there was a lot of um, controversy, I guess, over the hygiene. Obviously, after um, COVID nineteen, um, the hygiene practices in cricket. So anyway, they've partnered with Dettol. Dettol have partnered with Cricket Australia. And the partnership involves they're investigating transmission of germs in cricket games um, to protect players and staff. And Dettol are also supplying thousands of cricket clubs across Australia with um, product and also hygiene protocols. And they had a great ad campaign that was a, um, I've, I've saw the print version, but it has, uh, the headline is Bat, Bowl, Dettol. So obviously, yeah, it was really, really, <laughs> was really, really good. I'll put that one in the show notes. And then they've also partnered with Uber. Yeah, well, I actually think this is a fantastic partnership, mainly because in the year last year was, a lot of brands have had to up their hygiene game, like completely. So therefore, Uber being major, especially we just spoke about Uber last week um, and the fact that ride sharing is not particularly hygiene safe because you don't know who was in the car before you and before that, before that, before that. So partnering with a antibacterial brand is genius. Yeah. Absolutely genius. And I want to talk about Dettol being, um, having a moment, obviously being in a year when, (laughs) (laughs) being in a year when everybody wants to be hygienic. Like I don't think I've looked at antibacterial um, products as much as I have in the past year. And I'm sure many consumers feel the same way. But Dettol already owned that space. So doing partnerships with brands that have a lot of um, marketing dollars or really value marketing and then being able to team up with that is is definitely – I'm not surprised. Yeah, and I like that with Cricket Australia they're doing a more grassroots um, – taking a more grassroots approach by going into you know local cricket clubs and things mm. like that. It's not just partnering with Cricket Australia – or for, you know, the national cricket team, for example, mm. they're actually looking at it across the board, mm. which is really good. Mm. Um, they said about the Dettol um, partnership with Uber, to be on a smartphone app, booking an Uber car and seeking advice from both Uber and Dettol about hygiene protocols and the driver carrying Dettol takes the brand into a new and surprising space. That is incredibly powerful from an equity shift perception. We could have both done this without each other, but the benefit and cut through from doing it together was absolutely enormous. The launch gained huge coverage on broadcast news, PR, and we got good equity reads off the program. And it enabled us, a very established brand, to be in a completely new and meaningful space for the consumer. So what I want to take away from this is... um, Partnerships also aren't one size fits all. You don't replicate one partnership agreement just with another partner. I think... If your business is partnering with people, your partner also has needs in terms of the brand and the product and what they're trying mm. to do, what their brand purpose mm. is. So I think it's a, these two examples with Dettol partnering with both of these are great um, to look at how partnerships can be done differently with the same brand. Yeah, so partnership contracts are something um, that can be quite um, quite um, a bit of a a bit of a mess sometimes because you have both marketers fighting for their objective to yeah. come out on top. But if you find a good partner that understands the your partner's objective and your objective, and especially if they're not the exact same thing, like if it's not the exact same purpose trying to achieve 
um, that helps because you can do both rather yeah. than the same thing. So um, I used to write a lot of partnership contracts with Channel 9 because we sponsored a lot of um, different events and it was good because we never were trying to do the same thing. We were always trying to level off. We were, From Channel 9's perspective, we were trying to create community awareness and community involvement and from their point of view they were trying they were using the mass media reach that nine had Mm. so we never were butting heads but I definitely have seen partnerships in the past where yeah they were butting heads because Mm. of that yep um Alicia you'll love this quote from the article um because you always talk about partnering with people to deliver on your brand purpose they said you are much more likely to deliver on your brand purpose by doing it you are much more likely to deliver on your brand purpose by doing and saying something in partnership with another than doing something in isolation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If you don't have a partnership with your brand, what are you even doing? Yeah, I think if you're a small business, look at, um, you know, obviously the Dettol Cricket Australia and Uber partnerships are on a major level. But if you're a small business, maybe think about um, other small businesses you can partner with. Yeah, and it's, it is often I find the chat's over a, a beer with a with a mate or a or a wine at a dinner table that with a brand with someone that possibly is involved in another brand that and if you do see oh look we have a bit of crossover with our consumer take that run with it contact them again on the monday like don't let those opportunities pass yeah. because i've found the best partnerships have come from actually people who you know um and that that definitely at least starts the starts the um, initiation, you feel a bit more confident than maybe reaching out to someone you don't know. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's something, um, look, even we probably need to get better at that yeah. <laughs> for our j marketing. Um, but definitely something to, to, to keep top of mind when you're doing your marketing. Today I want to look at an article called How Brands Create Value, written by Anna Angelic, author of The Business of Aspiration. And particularly a point she raised around the four C's, Jade, not the four P's that were drilled into us in our marketing degrees. Interesting. There are the four C's of the modern brand, community, content, curation, and collaborations. Collaborations, which is just what we spoke about. Yeah. The four, sh- the four C's shape how a brand creates social, cultural, environmental, and economic value. The first C that caught my attention was community. It says, a brand community went from a nice-to-have to to a must-have. It doesn't matter what category a brand is in, its mandate is to find a way to put forward its social mission and values, which are the gel for a community. For brands that are already maintaining communities, the next step is to activate it more and more often. The key here is for brands to stop thinking about the community just as a top-of-the-funnel tactic and consider it as a long-term, bottom-of-the-funnel strategy, purchase, bonding, advocacy, loyalty. Next step is to define and focus on the most valuable customer communities and connect with them on a personal level. Do we love this, Jade, or what? Yes, I love the four C's. It's interesting. Um, I love how they're relating this to value. Yeah. So, um, and where they say that brands can't be burnt down or technology can't become obsolete in terms of a brand. Um, and it's brands are an efficient and effective creator of sustainable wealth, which I think is really interesting mm. because I think people can sometimes undervalue a brand. Mm. And they said the only time you can be sure of the value of the brand is just after you've sold it, which I think is such yeah. a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is, I think we've, we have touched on this before about how to value brands. And I think brands are getting, brands association with 
their community involvement is definitely now creating more value in the term in consumers' eyes versus if they didn't. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like back in the day, a brand's value was on how much they were on TV. Yeah. You know, or if they yeah. were sponsoring the footy. And that would be things that would be that would create a value in the consumer's eyes. Like, mm. oh, they must be, mm. they must have money, they must be good because they're able to afford TV advertising. Mm. Like that was how creative value. Yeah. Whereas now, consumers, especially because so many millennials aren't even watching TV, it's around what that brand is doing. Yeah, for things that are affecting the consumer's life. Yeah, and exactly what I'm talking about—that community involvement versus what they can afford in a mass media spend. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, community is just now a must. It's not even a question. If you've got a brand, you need to be building that community in some way. Like Facebook groups are a great example of mm. how most brands are doing it quite mm. well. Mm. Um, and I think we all know that content and collaboration, part of those, um, the other two part of those four Cs are also here to stay. Like content is massive, providing value. And obviously collaborating, we just talked about in the previous segment about how yeah. important that is. Let me talk about content quickly before you, um, yep. they've got a good quote about content. Content, it moves the brands away from product marketing and forces them to explore, define and capitalize on their culture and social role. There's also a welcome content shift away from polished campaign imagery. More brands will hopefully embrace this low-fi approach and put forward scrappy live and real content focused on communal watching and socializing. Community-orientated content increasingly tends to do better versus the polished influencer one, which Jade and I have looked at this before, as the current predominant memes and aesthetic language demonstrate. Oh, we say this all the time. All the time. Like people people laugh at us that we put up photos of us recording the podcast in the in our um in the wardrobe. In the closet. closet. But to be honest, we know how to create a polished like polished post. But the polished posts literally don't get the engagement that ours do when we literally just point the photo at us at doing our everyday thing because I feel like it creates that everyday realism of who Jay and I are rather than a polished, you know, marketing image on that social media platform. Yeah. Sure, there's a there's a there's a place for those polished ads, but social media and and how people are engaging with social media is definitely definitely embraced with that. Yeah, what they're calling. I think social media has always kind of, since it started, it's always kind of been used as a bit of a behind the scenes. Like sure. people are following you on social media to find something else that they're not going to find on a bus back or a billboard or a TV ad. You know, they expect all that polished stuff from mm-hmm. you in those places. Mm-hmm. So when they go to social media, they expect that little inside and pulling the veil and seeing a little bit behind the scenes. That's yeah. what people expect. So if they're getting all these polished photos from you on Instagram. They're kind of going, oh, well, we know I feel that's like getting, not real. And I feel like I'm getting um, sold to yeah where I'm on a platform that I'm trying to relax on yes and so that's why it's good to see you know the live behind the warehouse you know of the mm. of the owner going look this is what my everyday looks, looks like. like yeah and you know a lot of TikTok videos have gone off doing that like my everyday the day in the life of you know and they go quickly through the day in the life and yeah. that is totally what social media embraces do you want me to talk about curation, which mm. is the last C that we haven't touched on? So they say brands are embracing the role of taste curators and bringing forth their unique point of view on everything from food to film and theatre to architecture and pop culture. 
and making something part of a curated selection lets brands increase the price and the profit. So I think that's interesting that brands are being allowed to bring their unique perspective to things um, and have an opinion, I guess, if you like, Mm. on culture, which is interesting. And then also brands trying to make something um, a curated selection being like limited edition releases and things like that or you know um, I think the iconic does this well they'll use an influencer and the influencer picks a few products of theirs that they've they've curated that that you know theme for winter mm-hmm. or whatever it is so mm-hmm. I think um, you know a product's value is attached to the to the, the story you can create around it always always and I think this term curation I feel like um marketers that I know that have been around a long time are going to roll their eyes at us talking about these terms because it's not a new, it's not a new like storytelling and curating Hmm. a brand isn't new. However, there's just a lot more opportunities of how to do it. Yeah. And I think in this article, they're saying that those four C's are important to build your brand's value in terms of, you know, selling your brand in 10 years time working on those four C's now is going to make that more valuable long-term. Agree. Agree. And, and like talking about not the, just the top of the funnel, but that it can help with the bottom of the funnel as well, with the purchase, the bonding, the advocacy. And, you know, the term we like to say is where the rubber hits the road, like where the actual sale is happening, that is, that actually does help, you know, the value and the, you wouldn't believe it, but it actually can convert that sale because something you did with the storytelling with the the four c's exactly the community and the content that actually all does help in the end sale mm. result and i don't think that was that's been valued in the past no and no. but it it's 100% the way the way it's going so yeah, for sure can't be ignored so alicia uh, i don't know if you know forbes have done the 2020 most valuable brands okay um so they looked at 200 global brands with a – now, this is uh, a little bit US-based. So in terms of the methodology, what they did, they've gone on averaged earnings over the past three years, um, and there's a whole lot of you know other financial stuff, how they've done this. I won't go into that. I won't bore you with that. But do you want to guess what the top five are? Sure. You want me to guess? Yep, oh I want God, you to guess. And I'll tell you. <laughs> um, all right, in the world – Yes. Okay, so Apple, Microsoft is up there. Yes, Both. Apple is number one. So good job. Oh. And Microsoft is number three. Okay. Um, is it a bank? Nope. Um, is it an insurance? Nope. And what is the what is it on on income? Kind of yeah. So, uh, do you want me to read you the whole methodology? Mm-hmm. Though, so. Um, They've gone, our first step in valuing the brands was to determine the revenue and earnings before interest and taxes for each one. We then averaged earnings before interest and taxes over the past three years and subtracted from earnings a charge of 8% of the brand's capital employed, figuring a generic brand should be able to earn at least 8% on this capital. Uh, Next, we allocated a percentage of these earnings to the brand based on the role brands play in each industry. Okay. So it's not going to be an airline. Nope. Obviously, 2020 was not their year. <laughs> um, okay, don't tell me, is it a streaming platform? 
No. Okay. But that... interestingly, Netflix was number, let me tell you what number Netflix was, because Netflix had increased like 76% based mm. on their um, brand values from last year. Okay. Netflix was number 26, but yes, they were up 72%. <gasps> so is it a social media platform? Is it Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok? So yes, Facebook is number five. Yeah. And you've got two left. Two left. All right. They're all technology-based. Technology-based. Yep. Uber? Nope. Oh. Technology based. Not social media? Nope. It's not Canva? No. One's, uh, one you would call a shopping platform, I guess, too. Oh, Amazon. Yep. Oh, my Amazon's God. How did four. I not get Amazon? <laughs> okay, number two, the only one I've got to go. Yeah. It's the most obvious, too. Oh, no. <laughs> the most obvious. Have I said... Samsung? Oh, no, but Samsung's number eight. Think online. eBay? No. Technology. Not face. Oh, you said no social media. Okay, give up. Google. Oh, my God. Google was number two. Out. Wow. All right. So tell me what they are again. Apple, Apple Google. Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook. Of course, of course. But for, interestingly, Facebook's... Um, Value dropped 21% based on the last year's Forbes ranking. So mm. that was interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, there you go. I, I swear we used to do this every year at uni. And um, if Diane's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Diane. <laughs> um, I swear it always was a bank in there. I think they were Australia, though. This is this is global, global. with a right. notable presence in the US. Sure, so this sure. is a bit different. But, um, yeah, banks and um, insurance, insurance were always up were always there up in there. Australia if you're looking at brand value. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. Far out, Google. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am so excited to talk about this week's brand feature. Alicia, if I said to you the Aussiest brand ever, do you know what brand I'm talking about? It will have to be involve the honey badger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We are talking about the Trady brand, most famously known for their underwear. Did you know that they're predicted to turn over? They were predicted to turn over hundred million dollars in twenty twenty. Mm. Crazy. Mm. On their website, it says Trady was created from the desire to put some personality, humor, and function into the underwear market. Born in 2010 by founder Ben Goodfellow, Trady started as an underwear brand and has grown into an empire of categories for the whole family, including workwear, boots, baby wear, tools, drinking, and beauty. Beauty? I didn't know that one. Mm. From the very beginning, Trady has boldly set its own course, blurring the edges and breaking the rules, all in the name of fun. Now, I love how their tagline is the Aussiest brand ever, yeah. and I think you can easily see that on every every touch point that you um, you deal with them. Um what do you know about Trady, Alicia? What did you think? Look, I have followed this brand's evolution in the last 10 years for sure. And I probably in the early days thought, what are they doing? They're trying to go up against Bonds. Like, <laughs> are you crazy? Because Bonds, Bonds is just so iconic in Australia. Mm. And I just didn't think that a brand was going to try to take on Bonds like this brand has. And especially in doing it in a way that makes them more Australian than Bonds, even though I know Bonds have been brought out I know. recently. But, yeah, I found oh, that interesting. Totally. And you know what's funny is that the owner of Trady or this – or I don't know, is he the owner? Ben the Goodfellow. The founder, Ben yeah, Goodfellow. Yeah. His dad 
worked for Bonds for yes. 20 years. Crazy, hey? I know. So it actually, I didn't know that until researching for this um, this episode. So there you go. But I remember thinking, wow, you're not, you're not going to be able to do this. When I saw the first advertising mm. for Tradie, like this, I actually first, re- firstly remember looking to see whether they are an affiliate of Bonds. Yes. Because I thought it was mm. a, it might have been a, um, an arm Just, of bonds yeah, trying to take brand, the t- yeah. trading market, but it wasn't. And I saw that mm. it was a completely different business. So, yes, but far out they've been successful. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think we, we can't go past um, not talking about their brand ambassadors because I think they got onto the Honey Badger. If people don't know who he is, that's Nick Cummins, or a.k.a. the Honey Badger, who is a rugby player. Um, and he was fairly unknown before he went on The Bachelor a couple of years ago. And when I say fairly unknown, he was starting to find his own, I suppose, personality in the industry because before he went on The Bachelor, his very Aussie colloquial language, you know, earned him a lot of kind of press coverage and things like that. And that is how Trady stumbled across him. So they've picked him up and then he's gone on The Bachelor and his profile has just obviously gone through the roof. But an absolute perfect choice as a brand ambassador for them in terms of the Aussie angle that they were going for. Mm. And he has essentially, I think, become their brand. Mm. Like he is just, it was just a perfect fit. Um, the only thing I question, they've got Danielle Scott, who's an aerial skier, and Kelly Cartwright, who's a Paralympian, and Charlotte Caslick, who is a rugby player as well. They are their women's mm. ambassadors. Um, and I had seen those girls on their ads, but I actually had no idea who they were. Mm. Um, so I questioned those ones in terms of reaching that market and just in terms of, you know, how well known they were. Mm. I don't think um, from listening to um, from listening to Ben talk, he didn't seem that concerned with the profile that the these ambassadors had so much as what they represent as an Australian. Yes. So it's kind of flipped it on its head about why you get an ambassador because generally speaking, when marketers look for an ambassador, you go after their reach. You know, you're 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 almost jumping on board what they already got, and so it's like a quick a quick way to launch a brand um, mm. and create a, um, a, a good solid profile because you jump on an already existing profile. Yeah. But what they did is they actually got um, the Honey Badger before The Bachelor. So they only had – he only had a profile in the Rugby League – is it Rugby League or Rugby Union? I probably got it wrong um, – in the rugby space. Yep. Which is obviously very, very segment. Like it's only Queensland – and New South Wales, really, like yeah. Victoria, WA, South Australia, like we are all we all aren't rugby states, so we didn't particularly know who he was. So they weren't concerned with that, though. They were more so he was more so wanting him to be represent their brand from the Australian, down to earth Aussie bloke, the guy I want to have a beer with. Yeah, um, he actually said that, didn't he? Because yeah. I wanted to brand ambassador that I wanted to have a beer with, and so does the rest of Australia. Exactly. It's so true. he, they, they more so looked at that and then worked off that, which has been hugely successful for him. So I would say that they're looking at the same approach with these these women because mm. they don't necessarily have a profile like what you said. You know that you don't actually look at them and go, oh, I know exactly what she represents. Mm, I know who because they are. you're, mm. but. It's about the long-term game for them, I think. Yeah. You know, she, they are, they obviously have values that the brand align with. Yep. They are hardworking, you know, Australian sports people yep. um, that have come up against challenges, surely, if, you know, with the Paralympian, things yeah. like that, There's that, that have come up and, and succeeded beyond, you know, expectation, I'm sure. They 
they want to be aligned with that and we'll build it from there. Yeah. Rather than going for someone that perhaps possibly has a profile. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're building that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting that this is a brand, you know, the trading market is still a – they still have a younger market to target, but they're very heavily reliant on mainstream media. Oh, my gosh. Like <laughs> crazy. He is probably the youngest founder I've listened to talk that is still buying – sponsorship deals on television yeah it's it's um it's really interesting isn't it but he had a very interesting take on it he said that our target market is mainstream consumers. that's what he said I he know. goes mainstream consumers are our target market so i'm going to use mainstream media to reach them at the moment and it was refreshing to hear that he kind of rejected still that kind of spot buy across a network like he won't just buy a couple of spots mm. here in a program a couple of spots here in a program he said if he's going to if he's going to invest in TV, he's going to invest in one show over the 12-week period. So, you know, the million people that see that show. We'll see it for 12 not, weeks, yeah, three we'll know them. episode. Yes, exactly. and we'll know them. And I, I think that's a really good way to to look at buying mainstream media now that you no longer buy, um, you know, a spot buy across the network. And the networks would hate spots to Spots and dots across the week. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I think but that you just it's don't not possible. But it's not no. possible for the networks to sustain that no. because they need to buy – they need to sell all the spots. Yeah. He's he's a big believer in mass media. He actually launched for the first year off busbacks. So he did a – he the first year with Trady, they they went out with a busback campaign and he he positioned a lot of the busbacks around the – a more of a B2B strategy around mm. the big W buyers. Headquarters, Headquarters. Yes. So clever. So clever. Look, I remember we we actually have done this before and I think most marketers, advertisers have got an, a story where they've bought media around the decision maker's route on the way to work <laughs> or um, billboard you know, outside, the, billboard CEO's outside house, the CEO's yeah. office <laughs> or a house. Like this is definitely a tactic by media buyers and things, If if especially if they're struggling to get marketing dollars. Sometimes it's just that one decision maker that's possibly holding the budget and a bit too scared to spend. Um, media buyers will definitely make sure that, that that decision maker is seeing the ads again and again and again to add value, um, to add reassurance that mm. you were getting your money's worth, which is hilarious. Like I've actually remember once being asked by a media buyer what way the boss went to work so they could make sure they buy that bus route. <laughs> yeah, so clever. I know. Well, it's not clever. It's kind of a bit cheeky, to be honest, I reckon. But anyway, we did. And I know, but if you're the CEO and you're going, oh, my gosh, I saw it on a bus. It's, 100%. And you're just going, oh, it's absolutely everywhere. Well, can't you think about it. They, you saw it on your bus. Are you the target market? <laughs> oh, and um, another tactic was um, finding out finding out what radio station the office plays in the office. Oh, <laughs> and making sure that we were on that one. Isn't that bad? But it's because the business, they listen to that station, not yeah. necessarily their consumer, yeah. but that business then feels reassured that their advertising That's dollars true. are being spent. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like, So he used his advertising dollars in the first year to, to target, obviously, yeah, the retailer, the decision maker versus the consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting that you, you need to know uh, what your objective is with what you're spending. You know, he knew that, you know, getting a few extra people into Big W to buy the trading undies is, wasn't going to move the needle, but he knew that getting in front of the retailers and them having the reassurance that he was spending on marketing totally. to get people in there was going to be more of a benefiting factor. So Yeah, and to be honest, this is actually changing, Jada, like changing our view a little bit on um, on our strategies with some of our clients because we – 
we love to do all things with our marketing, but at the end of the day, we want to make good results for our clients. Mm. So listening to how he specifically went for the decision makers with his B2B bus campaign has actually persuaded me with a campaign that we're about to do with really trying to find that decision maker and making sure that we hit them very hard with the dollars and adding value and making sure that conversion of the marketing dollars does result in sales. Yeah. And it's real motivating. Like I'm, yeah. we're, we're going to put the link to this interview um, uh, in the show notes. I would highly recommend listening to it because Ben Goodfellow loves marketing, yeah. and I actually feel really inspired by him. Like, I'm, oh yeah, yeah. he's a fantastic listen. Um, the podcast is Small Business Big Marketing. Uh, I can't remember the guys' names. We'll pop pop their link in the show notes because I think their podcast was pretty good too. Yeah. Um, I just want to touch on they had um. Trady is the first one I've seen. There's probably more out there, but they have a subscription for your undies. Get a fresh pair of Trady undies delivered from just $15 every month. That is the best. So good. Do you know how good that would be for me? Like I really need a pair of undies delivered to me every month. I'm thinking my husband does. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is awesome. Yeah. Such a good idea. So first subscription service I've seen in that regard, I'm sure there's others, but, um, that was really prominent on their website too. Yeah. So it's obviously something they're pushing quite well. And yeah. I think it's a great initiative. Totally. Mm. They're doing amazing things. So definitely check them out. And keep keep an eye on this brand. That covers it for this week. Make sure you leave us a review or follow us on Instagram at marketing that matters pod. We love a chat. Thanks for listening to the Marketing That Matters podcast.